And so this morning, I believe that that's what God is calling all of us to, is that kind of a full and powerful prayer life. And so we're going to turn in Colossians. We're going to be starting in verse 2. If you join me, I would love that. But what we're going to do is we're going to see God's heart for us to have a full and powerful prayer life. And we're going to consider four characteristics specifically and how we cultivate those four characteristics in our own lives. So Colossians 4, starting in verse 2. Paul tells us this. He's giving instructions to the believers in Colossae and thus to us today. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So that's a pretty brief word of exhortation. Let me make sure I'm keeping up here on my slides. Okay, Paul tells us uh, to be devoted to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And it's brief, but in typical Pauline fashion, these words are full of meaning. And when we slow down, it can be encouraging to us to consider what this actually looks like, right? Any of us can read this and come away with an understanding of what Paul is saying. But in doing that, in slowing down, it encourages us with the richness of what he's calling us to. So first, a full and powerful prayer life is constant. Okay, here we go. Full and powerful prayer life is constant. Paul tells us to devote ourselves to prayer, and really that is exactly what devoted means. It means constant, constantly, faithfully given over to, set aside for, or committed to something. And I do want to make the distinction that the word is constant, not just consistent. We can consistently pray over meals every day, thanking the Lord for our food, and praying right before bed. That's consistent. But if all we are is consistent to say a quick blessing over our meal or to ask the Lord to keep our souls overnight, that's great. It's wonderful. It's a good thing. But constancy in prayer has deeper meaning than just that. And if that's all we're doing, we're missing out on the power of prayer that God has called us to. To be devoted to something means to be given entirely over to that thing. Think about how we use the word devoted in our lives today, and it helps us to see what we're talking about. Consider how your opinion or your uh, impression of a coworker changes based on the following two statements. Statement one, your coworker, coworker tells you, I like playing golf. Okay? Statement two, his wife tells you, my husband is a devoted golf player. Do you see how the perception changes? Now suddenly you realize this person's gone beyond enjoying golf as an occasional hobby to eating, breathing, and sleeping golf, right? They don't just kind of fit golf into their lives wherever it's convenient, but they set aside time for golf. They are investing resources, time, and energy into golf. They are in some ways orienting their life around golf, right? Because that's what it means to be devoted to a sport is that that's not just something that you kind of enjoy whenever you can experience it. It's something that now you have oriented how you proceed and how you plan your life around that sport. The book of Acts tells us that this is how it was for the early church and prayer. Acts tells us that they devoted themselves, speaking of the early believers, to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They weren't playing at these things. They were given over to them. They oriented their lives around these things, and so they were devoted to prayer. 
They were constant in it. A constant prayer life then clearly is not something that just happens kind of by accident or just appears in our life. It's something that must be grown intentionally and cultivated. So a constant prayer life is cultivated through regular investment in prayer. It requires intentionality and sacrifice. It requires setting an alarm and space on our calendar. Saying quick prayers throughout the day is really great. But even Jesus, who was in perfect relationship with the Father, didn't say, well, I'm just kind of always talking to the Father throughout the day. He says that he needs to spend time with the Father, and so he regularly withdrew to places where he could be alone to spend concentrated time in prayer. And so what we're talking about is dedicated time where you are completely given over to prayer. If prayer is a conversation, how can we truly pour out our hearts to the Father if we only try to do that in passing moments? Or if it's a conversation, how can we hear back from the Father his heart for us or the marching orders that he wants to give us for our day if all we ever do in prayer is just throughout the day? Again, it's a good thing to pray when we have a moment throughout the day. But to be constant in prayer requires focused time where we are given over to prayer. So we might ask ourselves, well, how much time do I need to invest in prayer to be constant or devoted to it? And ultimately, at the end of the day, that's between you and the Lord. But here's the, converse, or the question I want to give you by way of reply. How much time do we need to spend with our spouse or our kids to be described as a devoted husband and father or as a devoted mother and wife. Relationships require quantity and quality time, and that's the reason that a full and powerful prayer life must be constant. We must be devoted to prayer. A full and powerful prayer life is also watchful. It is watchful. When we first brought Hope home from the hospital about two years ago, uh, I wrestled quite a bit with anxiousness about her health. And so I was concerned deeply about SIDS. It worried me. And so as she slept at night in a bassinet right off to the left next to my side of the bed, I initially, the first couple of nights we were home from the hospital, I began setting an alarm on my phone for every 40 minutes. And I thought, I'm going to wake myself up, and every 40 minutes I'm going to pop up and go, okay, she's breathing. Okay, another 40 minutes I'll sleep, and then I'll wake up and check on her again. And my wife is very wise. And so she told me, after I think two nights of this, she looked at me and she said, we're not doing this. And so I, being wise myself, heard her and said, you're right, this is foolish. And so I began setting alarm for every two hours instead of every 40 minutes. <laughs> but I wanted to be awake. I wanted to be watching over her. And this is actually what watchful literally means, to be wakeful, to be alert. Now, of course, we're not to be watchful in prayer in the sense that I was watchful at night with anxiousness, but we are called to be awake and alert in prayer. Now, as Paul's saying this, right, he's saying this is literal and figurative, uh, literal in the sense that we need devoted times in prayer where we're not falling asleep, literally, three sentences in, right? That's clearly not being watchful or wakeful in prayer. But it's more to it than just staying awake as we pray. We're to be metaphorically or spiritually watchful and alert in our prayers, why? Because as easy as it is to fall asleep 
during our morning prayer time, it's actually far easier to go through the motions of this life sleepwalking and not paying attention to the spiritual realities that are going on around us. This is why Paul says in Ephesians 5, 14 through 17, he says, wake up, sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. When I read the exhortation in the New Testament to be watchful, to be alert, there's usually one of two motivations that are given. And the first is that we would be watchful against attack, theft, or deceit, to be on guard in a sense against loss. 1 Peter 5.8, be sober and alert, watchful. For your enemy, like a roaring lion, is on the prowl looking for someone to devour. And that's exactly what Jesus has in mind when he tells Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. So we're watchful in prayer against falling into temptation and against the attacks of the enemy. We ask God to keep us alert to sin that seems so innocuous or which is deeply embedded in our culture and to help us to stand guard against the lies of Satan. Now for myself, I often ask the Lord to help me to keep guard at the doors of my heart against idolatry, right? That I would idolize comfort and pleasure or the hobbies that I'm currently enjoying and place them above what God is doing in my life. And so I pray that God would show me when I'm enjoying board games more than I'm enjoying time with him. It's so silly. And yet it is something that we need to be on guard against. Or I ask the Lord to show me when I'm allowing people's opinion of me or my work to define who I am and believe those lies of Satan rather than allowing for him to show me who I am in Christ. So we ask the Lord to help us to be watchful against loss And we also ask the Lord to help us to be watchful. Here's the other motivation. uh, And to be ready for positive opportunities. This is why Jesus tells the parable about the servant who is busy pleasing his master and the reward he receives when the master comes and finds that servant awake rather than asleep. The servant who's found sleeping when the master returns suffers loss because a faithful servant is awake looking for opportunities to serve that master, to be about kingdom work. And so we need to ask ourselves, do we know what the Lord's will is? Are we being alert in prayer for opportunities for the gospel? I need to tell you, this is something that I desperately pray that God helps me to do because, again, it is so easy to go through the motions of life. Am I alert enough as to what the Lord is doing that when I'm about ready to go leave and work in a church, I see what God is doing when my little daughter comes up to me and says, Daddy, read the Bible. And she wants me to read a Bible story to her out of her little Bible promises book. Am I alert to that small, holy opportunity that God has given me? Or when somebody comes and asks me for money in the Meyer parking lot, do I just say, I'm sorry, I don't have cash? Or am I alert that God may have had that interaction so that somebody can look that person in the eyes and offer the hope that we have in Christ? 
So I ask God, help me to set my mind on heavenly things and not just on the things of earth because we have to do that in prayer. In prayer, we're to set our mind on heavenly things, bringing our request to God about physical things, yes, of course, but also focusing on the spiritual realities around us. Now, Paul shows us how we think about this in Colossians 4 in a couple of verses. He says, pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Now, if you heard that, you hear that Paul is saying, pray for an open door for ministry, but he's literally in chains in prison while he writes this. And so while we know from other letters that Paul does sometimes ask for deliverance from physical imprisonment, right now he's not saying, pray that the doors of this prison would swing open. He's focused on the spiritual reality. Pray for a door for ministry to the lost. It's so easy to see the prison doors in our lives, the things and circumstances that are readily observable, and that we miss that in those circumstances, God might be opening wide a door for us to be a witness to somebody for the gospel. And yet most of us, myself included, often spend so much of our time in prayer focusing on those physical realities, unaware of the spiritual realities in our lives. So a full and powerful prayer life must be watchful, and that is cultivated through meditation on God's word, through meditation in God's word. We must do more than read a few verses each day and kind of come away and say, like, that was nice. Okay, back to real life. And we've got to do more than that. We've got to receive the word as our daily bread. We've got to chew on it and digest it and allow it to change how the way we see the world. It has to become the lens through which we see everything. It has to literally become our worldview. Because when we do that, or if we don't do that, how will we know the things we're to be on guard against? Or how will we know the opportunities we're to be looking for? The Bible is living and active. It is able to show us the, the sins that we are so tempted towards, the folly of the wisdom of the world, the deceit and schemes of Satan, if we are reading the word, he will show us those things. And it is also speaking to us today. It commissions us. It sends us out. It tells us the things that we are to do in obedience each and every day. And so when we meditate on God's word, we're able to see the circumstances of our lives with faith, looking for open doors to do ministry rather than only seeing as our flesh would just those physical prison doors. A full and powerful prayer life is watchful. A full and powerful prayer life is also thankful. Have you noticed this about prayer warriors? And I mean like people who actually, that you know, have a full and powerful prayer life. They're joyful. They're joyful. How is that? It's because they're thankful, as we're instructed to be in prayer. And those two things go hand in hand, joy and thankfulness, just as we see in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Paul tells us there, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is God's will for us in Jesus Christ, that you are always rejoicing and giving thanks to God in prayer in all circumstances. And the command is not just to begin prayer with kind of a, a rote, like, well, thank you, God, for this day. 
or to list out one or two things you're thankful for so that you can get to more important things in prayer. No, when Paul talks about prayer, especially in Colossians, he gives us the tone for this thanksgiving. He says that we are to be overflowing in prayer. It's as if we're to be so full of thanksgiving that it's like we're ready to burst forth. We can't hold it all inside, and it just comes out in joyful praise and heartfelt thanksgiving to the Lord. And so the prayer warriors I know are consistently joyful. Their circumstances are up and down just like ours. They have good days and bad days just like all of us, but they are consistently joyful because they've chosen to be obedient to this call for thanksgiving. And I know that for a lot of us, this is not our default. And I know my own heart is very much prone to grumbling more than thanksgiving. And so it might be tempting when we see this aspect of prayer to think, okay, why don't I focus on all of the other aspects of a full and powerful prayer life, and maybe this joy thing, this thanksgiving thing, will just kind of happen naturally at a later time. But if that's our response, it's disobedient for one thing, and it also robs many of our prayers of the power that God intends for them to have. Consider Philippians 4, 6 through 7. We're told, don't be anxious in anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you, as somebody who works with young people, this verse is really important. Our world is riddled with anxiousness. It truly is an epidemic. And so young people look to this verse, and it is important, and honestly, sometimes it's controversial. But the prayers of a righteous person, the Bible says, are powerful and effective. And one of the ways we're to experience the power of prayer is that as often as the struggles of this life would bring anxiousness and produce anxiety in us, we are to go to God in prayer and experience peace beyond understanding instead. And yet so many of us leave out a crucial element of prayer and then we're not certain why we feel no less anxious at the end. So what is it in prayer that gives us the power to have that anxiousness fail away, fade away and be filled with peace instead? It's the thanksgiving. It's the thanksgiving because when I can come to God and I thank him for something that he's done in my life in the past, I'm reminded that if God has been good and faithful to me before, he's going to do it again. Or if I see a promise in scripture and I thank him for it, It's me being able to say, God, I know that I can take this promise to the bank. Thank you. And that's how thankfulness is cultivated in our prayer lives is we have to appreciate God's blessings. Now I say appreciate because appreciation literally means to to recognize the value of something, the full worth of that thing, or to understand the full implications of that thing. I might be able to identify God's blessings in Scripture and say, yep, that's a blessing, or I see that that's a promise. I may even be able to recognize that God is working in my life, but until I appreciate that blessing, I won't overflow with thankfulness because I need to appreciate it and give it value in my life. I need to appreciate the implications of that promise for my circumstances. And when I do that, When I am able to say, God, thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. God, thank you 
for your promise that you are always with me. You will never forsake me. Or if I thank God for the truth in his word that he says, listen, not one sparrow falls apart from my notice and you are worth more than many sparrows. When I take that to heart and I see the value for how Jesus sees me and I see the implications for my circumstances, I am filled with peace instead of anxiousness. And so a full and powerful prayer life is filled with thanksgiving. It is also real work. A full and powerful prayer life is also real work. So I want for you to look with me at a couple of passages in Colossians as we get ready to finish up here. And I just want to see God's motivation for us praying and how Paul views prayer. He says in Colossians 1, 28 through 2, 1, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ is so powerfully working in me. And in Colossians 2.1, I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. Speaking of Epaphras, in Colossians 4.12-13, he says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea, Laodicea and Herapolis. Did you see the words in blue? Those are all the same word, contending, contending, wrestling. And so Paul is saying that he is strenuously contending, fighting even with all the energy that Christ works in him, so that he might present believers under his care fully mature. And he says to the believers in Colossae, I want you to know that I am contending and fighting and agonizing for you too. But how is he doing that? We just saw in Colossians 2 that he says, I haven't met you in person yet. And so Paul can't be saying, hey, I'm really hard at work in your church. Hey, don't you see all the ministries I'm doing in your church? No, he is contending for them from afar. And the way that he uses that word when applied to Epaphras, I am, he is wrestling for you in prayer. That shows us how Paul is contending too. He is contending for the believers in Colossae that they would be fully mature and he's doing that in prayer. And so prayer is real work because it does require sacrifice. It's hard. It's difficult at times. And when we are contending for others in prayer like God lays out for us, when we're constant, when we're watchful, when we're thankful, it can be emotionally, physically, and spiritually exhausting so that when you finish, you feel like you've just gone through a wrestling match. So prayer is real work. And not only is it real work, but he tells us that Epaphros is working hard for them because he wants us to see that it's real work in the sense that it is accomplishing something. Prayer is powerful and effective. And so he tells us, or he rather invites us into this, and he says, look, pray, pray for us too that God may open a door for the message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am chained. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And so Paul is the one proclaiming the gospel. He's the one who's preaching in their church, well, not yet in their church, in other churches. He's the one going on missionary journeys. He's the one doing the work. 
And yet he's inviting them like Epaphros is doing, like he's doing, to take part in the kingdom work by wrestling for him in prayer. Paul says, your prayers are going to make the difference in my ministry. Please join me in the struggle I have. Imagine being somebody who, when they get to heaven, gets to claim some level of credit or rather is going to be given credit for some of Paul's ministry around the world, this person who changed history on behalf of Christ. Imagine Jesus being like, yeah, you did that too because you were praying for Paul. You changed the way I worked in his circumstances. What ministry opportunities are we going to have Jesus give us credit for because we were wrestling in prayer and it was changing things? Rich, full, and powerful prayer is real work. And when we care enough to do the real work of prayer, that's how it's cultivated. It is cultivated when we love others and we believe that prayer changes things. I love my wife and I love my daughters. The question for me is, do I believe that prayer changes things in their lives? Because if I believe that, I'm going to be praying for them because I love them and I want to see things change for the better in their lives. Or if I believe that prayer changes things, do I love the high school students and my ministry enough that I'm praying for them? Because if I believe prayer changes things and I love them, I'm going to be doing the real work of prayer on their behalf. And so the question for us this morning is, who do you love? Who are you called to love this morning? Do you believe that prayer changes things? Will you do the real work of prayer? Our feet will never follow what our hearts are not convinced of. But if our hearts are convinced that the prayers of a righteous person were for those who have the righteousness of Christ applied to them, are powerful and effective, then our feet are going to run to the Father and dive deep into full and powerful prayer. One that is constant, watchful, thankful, and which accomplishes real work. Are we going to engage in a full and powerful prayer life? Are you going to join those who minister to you? Are you going to come alongside Matt, who's serving you faithfully, and say, not only am I going to come and volunteer my time, but I'm going to wrestle with you in prayer and watch what God does through our joint efforts. God is inviting us into this kind of rich prayer life today. All it takes is for us to take him up on his word and begin being constant, watchful, thankful, and to have faith that it is real work and to do that real work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. God, it is overwhelming to think about all the ways you are at work in all the churches of the world, Lord, in all the ways that missionaries are pursuing like you would, Jesus, the lost sheep. Uh, God, you are at work in the world today. Uh, in fact, Jesus, you tell us in your word that my Father is working and therefore I must be working. God, I thank you for the ways that you allow us to use our spiritual gifts to serve as your hand and feet in the church body. God, to use the spiritual gifts you proud on us through the Spirit. But God, thank you too that you do more work through us than when we are actively doing something in person. God, thank you that you are doing work through us when we wrestle with you in prayer on behalf of others. Uh, God, I'm, I'm reminded of the idea of uh, a father wrestling with his children. Uh, God, it's not wrestling to try to win. Uh, God, it's not wrestling to try to defeat the father. 
Uh, but it's, it's a part of the relationship, Lord. There's joy in it. God, would we hear you inviting us to wrestle with you in the same way, God, to enjoy intimacy with you in relationship. And God, because we know that you will work through our prayers. God, I pray that even today you would give each of us things that you draw our hearts to pray for. Uh, and God, increase our faith that, that when we ask these things of you in prayer, Lord, when we are obedient, uh, would we see you working through our prayers so that that might lead to us digging even deeper into prayer. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.